Thank you, Pastor Paul. Don't you find he looks like me? Great minds think alike with the jacket and, you know, or is it fools seldom differ? I forget. But uh, thank you, Paul, for coming in and for sharing, and uh, thank you for giving and for praying as well. Uh, not only for the Lasantes and their family, but we've got 11 total global worker families on the field. So when you give to missions, you're giving to the work of God that we're doing expressed in all these different nations. So um, uh, I, I hope you like that. I really like the setup here. How many of you, I mean, I think we could, I think we should do this again. I mean, it's a great thing to be able to host the District of Quebec's Youth Convention. Do you think that's a good idea to have, you know, five, six hundred young people coming? And I think that's a really good thing for a 100-year-old church to do. So, again, thank you to the people who made it happen, especially in the realm of technology, uh, which is so important. And uh, you know that in the foyer, there's all kinds of goodies for you today. And uh, CLC Bookstore is there, Institut Biblique du Québec, the Bible College is there, and other stuff as well. So if you have a little bit of uh, time after the service, you can visit there and uh, avail yourself to some of the stuff that they have. We're going to be talking about the second part of Mark chapter 13. How many of you were in church last week and you heard Pastor Patty's message? Good. How many of you remember the message? Okay, that's what I thought. Sometimes I don't even remember the message even when I preach the message. So don't, don't, don't worry about that. But you can listen to it online. You'll want to uh, because you can't do the part two without the part one uh, on our website. It should be posted there and I think as well on the podcast. So you'll want to listen to it. She did a great job uh, trying to explain an answer to some questions that the disciples asked Jesus when he made a rather strange statement. So they were looking around at the buildings of the temple in the first century, beautiful architecture and a temple that was enlarged by Herod the Great and a massive building project and an ornate, magnificent temple and structures around the temple. And they said, Jesus, do you see all of these beautiful buildings? Look at it. And Jesus said to them, it's all going to be torn down. And not one stone will be left upon another. And this shocked them. And they would ask him later, well, when will that happen? And what will the signs be of these things that you seem to be talking to us about the end of the world? And Jesus answers the question in this famous, famous chapter uh, that theologians have wrestled with since the beginning. We call it the Olivet Discourse because he gave it on the Mount of Olives overlooking the beautiful structures of the temple. So I'm going to read from verse 24 to 37 of Mark 13. If you have a Bible, you're brand new to the Bible, if you can make your way to the New Testament, you've got Matthew, and then you've got Mark, okay? Chapter 13 is what we're after. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, but you have a smartphone, these days you can look up the Bible online. version is the best app out there, Y-O-U version, that you can even download now on your smartphone. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. I'm going to read it, and I want you to, to focus in on some of the phrases that refer to time when, when I read, okay? And I think we'll put them on the screen. Put that first slide on, uh, if you would, guys, so that they can, they can see what phrases I'm after. So I want you to 
read this with me and listen for the, the, the phrase and try and figure out what time it is and what time Jesus is talking about. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. How many of you are thankful for the weather today, just in passing? Mm-hmm. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible is verse 30. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. If you're listening to me now, don't, don't sleep, okay? Stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Are you confused yet trying to figure out the time? Well, I'm always confused when I read this passage, and I've been looking at this passage for many, many years, uh, and its counterpart in Matthew chapter 24, when he says these days, or those days, well, what days? When he says these things, well, exactly what things? When he says this generation will not pass until all these things come to pass, well, what things did he mean? Uh, when he says that tribulation, what tribulation? When he says that day or that hour, well, what day, what hour specifically? Uh, the time will come. What time will come? When will it come? And we read this passage and we try to figure out all those things and all that time and all that detail. And we end up with a number of different views on this and a number of different opinions on this. And the reason why is because that's not the point of the passage. We can get so tied up in trying to decipher it and trying to figure it all out that we make the mistake that Jesus left some of it ambiguous for us. He left some of it mysterious for us. He left us with a number of questions because the point of the passage is not the method and the timing of all these things. The point is Jesus Christ is coming again. 
The Son of Man will come in power. Verse 5, see to it that no one leads you astray. That's what we need to know. Be on your guard. Verse 9, endure to the end. Verse 13, learn like learning the lesson from the fig tree. Verse 28, you do not know. Verse 33, stay awake. Verse 37, those are the things that we really need to know because the central point of the passage is Jesus Christ is coming back again. I fear today that in our, in our understanding of God and those of us who profess faith in Christ, our understanding of our faith in Christ has taken the second coming of Jesus and made it an accessory. It's, it's optional for us. Who cares if Jesus is coming again? When was the last time, ask yourself if you're a believer, that you really thought about the significance of the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again someday? Is it really relevant to your life today? Or is it just an accessory for the theologians trying to figure out Mark chapter 13? And we can get so tied up on all of that all of the detail that we missed the major point and the major idea. Folks, I am a, I am a Pentecostal, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial believer. Do any of you know or care what that means? I didn't think so. I'm a Pentecostal, so I believe the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. I am a pre-tribulational believer. I believe there's going to be a rapture of the church. And that Jesus will remove the church worldwide from the earth in, a, in the twinkling of an eye, in the fastest moment of time. And there will be immediately following that a seven-year period of tribulation and wrath, the likes of which this world has never seen. I believe it will happen, the rapture will happen before the seven-year period of tribulation. That means I'm a pre-tribulationist. Do you care? Didn't think so. I'm a premillennial believer. So I believe that the period of seven years of tribulation is going to precede a 1,000 year of, of reign of Jesus on earth in peace. And there will be a 1,000 year, uh, year span of peace on earth that Jesus will start by his second coming to end the tribulation at the battle of Armageddon. And that he will restore the land of promise to Israel. And that he will lift the curse of sin and death from the earth. I believe those things. But the point of the passage is not all of that detail. The point of the passage is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Does it matter to you today? Does it make a difference in your life today? Are you staying awake? Does it impact your life? A number of years ago, I had the occasion, uh, as I was serving in, uh, I've served in about every role you can serve in an evangel over the last 15 years, and in one of those roles, I was out with a volunteer on the road, and we were buying some gear, some technological gear from an IT guy. And we went to his store and started talking, and of course, the volunteer, proud of the fact that he had a pastor with him, said, hey, I've got the pastor with me today, we're buying this stuff, and the the owner of the store looked at me and glared at me, and he said, so you're a pastor. And I said, yes, I'm a pastor. He said, well, I have a question for you. And if you can answer this question, I will convert to your religion on the spot. 
And he was very serious. And he said, in fact, for the whole store to hear, he said, in fact, if any of you guys who wear the cloth, you know, an imam or a priest or a pastor or a Satanist for that matter, if any of the people like that can answer my question, I will convert to their religion on the spot. I said, well, what's the question? And he said, well, if your God is all-powerful, and if your God can do anything, and he is omnipresent, and yet your God is holy and your God is just, then why does he allow all of these things to happen on planet Earth all day long and he doesn't do anything about it? Answer me the question now. And I said to him after wiping some sweat off of my brow, why don't we have lunch and talk about it? And he agreed. Folks, he's not a believer. But even people who, again, profess faith. How do you explain when things happen to you in life? How do you explain when bad things happen to good people? You say, well, I'm serving God with all that I have. I'm doing everything that I know I should be doing. I mean, I'm doing the best that I can. And all these problems come into my life. Why? Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe God is cursing me. Maybe God is punishing me. Is that a satisfactory answer for you? The same question is asked by believer and unbeliever alike. If God is all-powerful and God is holy and God is just and God is loving, then why in the world does he not do something about the present state of affairs on the planet that he created. This is a valid question. It is a valid question for you to ask as a believer, why is this happening to me? Where are you, God? These are valid questions. You should not shy away from these questions. You should press into them, and you should ask them of God because there is an answer. When I met with the individual... Finally, he took me out to lunch at a rather posh restaurant, and we started talking, and it was all small talk. And so, you know, we're just back and forth about, you know, our lives and our families and all this stuff. And then he looked at me, and he said, cut the small talk. I want an answer to the question. That's why I brought you out here in the first place. What is your answer? Before I give you the answer, let me give you... Let me give you a a resource that uh, by Philip Yancey, we sell it at our resource zone, that question that never goes away, why? And we have these over there in the corner. It's a good chance for me to plug the resource. And by the way, I'll plug something else on our social media. You're going to see a link to what I think is one of the most simply written articles by a rather brilliant guy by the name of William Lane Craig. Uh, answering a very valid question about this passage that we read. Go to our social media and you'll see the link there. So we sat down and we started talking. He said, I want an answer now. And I said, I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is found in one simple word. The word time. T-I-M-E. And I made it really, really simple for him. And I'm going to make it really simple for you. The answer to that question that never goes away is in the second coming of the Lord Jesus. If you live your life as a believer without that as part of your equation, 
you are missing something and you are going to have a system of faith that is backwards, broken, and dysfunctional. You must learn to live your life with the anticipation of the return of the Son of Man. Because that and that alone is the only satisfactory answer to the reason, why is this happening to me? Why is God nothing, doing nothing about it? The answer is, He will. In time. T-I-M-E. The coming of the Son of Man is T-True. Verse 2 of Mark 13. And Jesus said, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Talking about the destruction of the temple and the buildings of the temple. He's standing there in the first century looking at this stuff, saying it's all going to be destroyed. Verse 26, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. As sure as we know that the temple was destroyed in the year 70 is as sure as we can know that Jesus is coming back someday. For him to make that kind of prediction at that time was ridiculous. It was shocking to the people. It was as if he was talking about the very end of the world. Because at that time, the view was God lives in the temple. The temple was a central focus of worship for the Jews in the first century. And it was for many years before. And in the year A.D. 70, it was literally torn down exactly as Jesus said that it was going to be. He'll put a couple of pictures on the screen so you get a feel for this. That's a good uh, piece of artwork, very famous piece of artwork that shows the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the temple with a fire on the right-hand side there that happened in the year A.D. 70 when the Romans under Titus went in there and sacked and burned the temple and destroyed everything in it. Nobody thought that that would happen. But Jesus himself predicted the event, and the event happened some 40 years after he said that it would go to the next slide. This is a fresco on a a big monument in Rome called the Arch of Titus. And you see a depiction of the Romans taking the sacred uh, furniture out of the temple as they conquered it again in the year A.D. 70. In the last slide there. Keep going again. Another slide. Yeah. This is what's left. Uh, this is in Jerusalem, and you see the, the uh, Muslim Dome of the Rock on the left side, on the exact site of the Temple Mount where the Temple once stood. And you see the, what's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, which is a retaining wall on the western side of the Temple. It still stands today. And people go there and pray there, and they call it the Wailing Wall because people wail at times when they pray. It's the most holy uh, site in Judaism today because they believe that the Messiah will come back one day. They just don't realize that it's Jesus. And that's what's left. Everything else has been torn down, destroyed, just as Jesus predicted that it would. That's how we know that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. For him to issue such an outrageous prediction and for it to come true, we can, we can have a, a assurance that what he says about anything is going to come true. And he backed this up by rising from the dead. The second coming of Jesus is T-true. The coming of Jesus is I-imminent. 
That means it could happen at any moment. Verses 32 to 36 of Mark 13. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I always find it interesting and a little bit amusing sometimes when we write books and make movies that profess to know when Jesus Christ is coming. And I watch them uh, as a point of, of reference to, to see what we think we're talking about. If Jesus himself says the angels don't know and not even the Son knows and their information is somehow restricted there, then how in the world can we profess to know? Uh, last year, there was the most recent uh, kind of manifestation of this. It was rather elaborate uh, theory based on uh, a series of lunar eclipses where the moon turns red like blood. And there was a series of them on Jewish holidays and a number of books were written to try and postulate that, ah, now we think we know when Jesus is returning or some big event on, in the world is going to happen in coincidence with all of these blood moons as they called it. Well, I was, I was there out on my balcony with my camera and my tripod, you know, shooting the, the, the trying to get that red moon. You know, and I was out there, I'm saying, Lord, if the end of the world is coming, I want to be taking pictures right now. And you know, just as well as I did, that nothing happened. Because whenever we write these books and come up with even more elaborate and spectacular theories, guess what? We're always wrong. Because no one knows the day or the time or the hour. And when we profess to know, we always seem to get it wrong. And Jesus said, it's like the guy who goes away and he, he puts his servants in charge. And you never know when he's coming back. It could happen at any moment. It'll take you by surprise. It's an imminent event. Uh, uh, Peter, who really is the heart behind Mark's gospel, writes about it this way in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. First uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 2, Paul puts it this way, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Have any of you ever been robbed in the night before? Probably our missionary has a few times, but I, I know some of you are lying. You're afraid to put up your hand because maybe you'll get robbed again or something if you admit it. Well, I've been robbed, and you never know when the robber is coming, do you? You only find out afterward. Takes you totally by surprise. Say, wow, what happened? Who broke into my house? Oh, we've been robbed. A thief came. And the idea being that you never know when that thief is coming. He always takes you by surprise. You see the results at the end, but it's just total surprise. The thief came and the thief took the stuff. And this is the image. The coming of Jesus will be like that. It will take people by surprise. They will not be able to call it and say, okay, everybody stand on a mountaintop and get ready. Sell your house and everything and just stand on the mountaintop because Jesus is coming today. No, it's going to take people somehow by surprise. The coming of Jesus will be M majestic. It will be an event that people will know when it's happening. It may well take them by surprise, but when it happens, they will see it. 
It will be a global event. It will be a spectacular event. It will be a majestic event. Uh, Jesus says they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great glory and power. They will see. Uh, Matthew 24 puts it this way, as lightning comes from the east that shines in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be visible. It will be spectacular. It will be something, this is what is happening. We see it. It will be a global event. Inasmuch as the people in Jerusalem saw their whole world changed when the Romans came in there and destroyed their city and their temple, when Jesus Christ comes back, people are going to know it when it happens. It will be a majestic event. And finally, the coming of Jesus will eliminate evil. Verses 26 to 27. He's coming in, in power, in glory, on the clouds. He will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds. The people who are called out by him, he will gather them. Why? Because there's a judgment that's coming. He's going to put an end to evil. He's going to put an end to sin ultimately. And this is what's going to happen when he returns. He's going to change everything. And he will eliminate once and for all the power of sin and evil. And he will put the nail in the coffin that he started driving in at Calvary. It will be completed at that point when Jesus comes at his second coming. Some people mistake this and they say, well, Jesus said it is finished. So why is there still problems on earth? When Jesus said it is finished, what he said was your sins are paid in full. He never said you're not going to have any more problems in this world. It is finished doesn't mean it is finished in the sense of, well, now the world's ending. No, your sins are forgiven now. But the end is still yet to come. And this is why we live in that tension of the already and the not yet. Already our sins are forgiven, but not yet. Jesus hasn't come in full and in power to change this world. The, the coming of Jesus is T-I-M-E, true, imminent, majestic, and will eliminate evil. Jesus uses a term here in the text, the Son of Man. He uses this very purposefully. Is one of his pet terms that he uses for himself, and he does it on purpose. Because he knows that his audience, as soon as he pulls this term out, what they're thinking about, and it comes from Daniel chapter 7. Jesus would use this term when he was on trial. And when the high priest looked at him and said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And at that moment, it was enough. The high priest said, enough. I've heard enough of this blasphemy. He tears his robes. He says, a blasphemy. Look at this guy calling himself God. Who is he? Who is he? Who does he think he is? And he tears his robes in disgust. And he says, have we heard enough? This man is a blasphemer. And they put him to death because of that. Jesus chose his term very, very deliberately. It's out of Daniel chapter 7, the prophet in the Old Testament who speaks about the end of time. 
And he has this powerful image in chapter 7 of Daniel. I'm going to read it to you so that you can saturate the imagery here. And he says in verse 9, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is God, the Ancient of Days. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Powerful imagery from Daniel. And I looked and I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one coming like a son of man. This is the Messiah figure who would come. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. When Jesus used that phrase, he said that he would be seated. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, therefore making himself God by saying he could sit in that throne. And this is why it was blasphemy to the high priest. And this is why they put him to death as a result. And Daniel continues, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This has not happened yet, but it is yet to come. Do you believe that today? Can I tell you something? In Pentecostalism, in the, in the first, uh, the beginnings of the modern day Pentecostal movement, this was on the tip of everybody's tongue that Jesus Christ was coming again. We have hope no matter what we're going through in this life. We have hope we can even face the grave because we know that Jesus Christ is coming. The Son of Man is coming on the clouds with glory and he's going to put an end. He's going to eliminate evil once and for all. Can you see why they were excited? Oh, my word, I think it's only me today. I don't know what's wrong with me, Pastor Paul. Maybe it's a sound equipment or something, but I get excited when I think about these things. Do you know why? Because the the more you get on in life, the more you realize how stupid you are. The more you realize that everything you know, you don't think you, you don't know that much anymore. You get older and older and, you know, gravity starts taking place and your hair starts getting gray and the aches and pains start coming and problems come and you say, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why why did my loved one die? Why are they dying in bunches? Why am I getting bad reports from the doctor? Why are all these things happening to me? Because the son of man has not come yet, but he is going to come. That should get you excited. When you, when you meet that person who's passed away in Christ, because the Son of Man is coming again one day, you will be able to meet that person who's died in Christ because of the coming of the Son of Man. It is the great hope that we have as a church, no matter what you believe about time and process. As long as you believe that Jesus is coming again, it's got to be a vital part of our equation again. And it's lost, it's an accessory to us. Are you living your life today as if Jesus was coming today? If you believe he's coming back tomorrow, are you living like he's coming back today? Or are you sleeping? And he doesn't mean physically sleeping. He means you're asleep at the switch. You're living your life in a duh fashion as if Jesus isn't coming back. You're doing foolish things. You're living a lifestyle that's foolish. 
You need to change. You need to wake up is what he's saying because the time is coming. When is it coming? I don't know. But we're 2,000 years closer now than we were 2,000 years ago. Is anybody excited or awake today? Make it part of your equation again that Jesus Christ is coming and that he is coming and he will change things and he will eliminate the present system of things. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's not going to be any more funerals in that time. There's not going to be any more sickness or death or disease in that time. Everything we know is going to change. Thank God there's an answer to the question. Jesus Christ is coming again. I looked at this individual across the table as we were having lunch years ago, and I told him what I just told you, and he looked at me, and he said, you gave me a good answer, but I'm not going to become a Christian because I can't for the life of me believe that Jesus is coming back supernaturally one day. Like, I understand that you believe that, but I have a hard time with that. He said, but you know what? The answer that you gave is very logical. I'm a mathematician and it makes sense what you say. But I'm not going to become a Christian today. Thank you for lunch. And we stayed in touch a little bit ever, ever since then. And, uh, you know, casually. And I've asked him for permission to share the story. He said, you can share the story all you want, but just don't give them my name. So if he's here today in the audience, he remains anonymous. But this is the answer to the question that never goes away. And never, if you get one thing from today, with, with your, your conviction that you're building as a believer, include the return of Christ as part of the equation. It changes everything. We're going to move into a time of remembrance and communion, uh, but with a twist today. So I want to make sure that everybody has been served Uh, The emblems, if you're on your way in and you're like, I'm brand new to this church, what do they do? Is this popcorn that I've been given? No, this is a reference to communion, okay, the Lord's table. And these are symbols that you're holding in your hand, but I want to make sure everybody has one. If you could just put your hand in the air, if you want to be served these emblems today and participate, that would be great. And the ushers will serve you. Yeah, down on the right there. Well, just wait a few moments. We have plenty of time because I want you to participate if you want to today. Just keep your hand in the air so that they can see. When we do this publicly, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering the fact that God became flesh and he paid the penalty for our sins that we really owed that penalty to God himself. And so God takes care of it for us and by his grace he becomes one of us. And he dies on the cross paying the death penalty for our sin that we could have a relationship with him. And we remember that and we remind ourselves of that. And Christians have been doing this for for two millennia because we forget, don't we? But not only do we forget what Jesus did in the past, we forget that he's coming again. And this reminds us Jesus is coming again. Not only did he die for us on the cross... Not only was he raised from the dead, but he will come again someday and everything is about to change. Paul said to the Corinthians as he was describing communion there, he talks about 
the, the body and the, the blood. And he's, he's using metaphorical terms there, trying to refer to what Jesus did for us. So the emblems that you receive are just symbols. And the way we have it, we have it kind of all in one little, little packet there. So you can peel off the little top layer and that exposes uh, the little wafer, the little bread that's there. And that's a symbol of something. So you can go ahead and do that with me. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. Even Jesus was betrayed, friends. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer together. And Paul continues and he starts talking about the other symbol, the cup. And he says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new arrangement in my blood. The atonement for sins is paid for. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? For as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The second coming there, even in communion. Go ahead and pull back the the next layer and take the juice with me. Please stand as we just have a moment of prayer before we close. I wonder if there are those of you today and like that individual... Uh, who I met with years ago, you have that question. And I think we all do at one time or another. And for you, you listen to a message like this and you haven't really heard it quite this way before. And for you, you know that you're at a place in life where you say, I know that I am not a Christ follower, but I'm not like that individual who you're talking about who said, no, I will not become a Christian today. Because today I see that God has arranged pieces and parts of my life in such a way that he's brought me to this moment. And today in this moment, in this service, at this time, I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. He comes in by invitation. And today you say, I know, it doesn't matter what you say, preacher. I know that today is the day I'm not even listening to what you're saying because God wants to come into my life today. If that's you, can you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Just all over this room, I want to have a word of prayer for you before you go. Anybody you're in that boat, there were a number of people in the first service. Just wait a minute. I just want to see your hand so I can pray. Up in the balcony, anybody, wave at me if you want to receive Christ today. Yes, I see somebody's hand there, Pastor Rob. Thank you for pointing that out. Anybody else? I just want to wait a moment or two. I believe God is at work today in some people's lives. 
If you're ready to invite Christ into your life, I'm going to pray a very, very simple prayer. And then at the end, we're going to have ministry team members here. They're just going to take some information from you so that we can follow you up and get you growing in your life with Christ. But I'm going to pray a very, very simple prayer. You can pray the words after me or something like it. The point is that you're asking Jesus to come into your life. Jesus, we come to you. And Lord, uh, I come on behalf of those in this room. And I ask on their behalf, come into my life today. Jesus, I have come to the place where I know that you want me. And so I surrender my life to you today. And I ask you to come into my life and take my life over. I surrender it completely to you at this moment in this time. Amen. I'd invite the ministry team, go ahead and come forward. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you could come and just face the audience and we'll give people time as everybody is leaving. Those of you who prayed that prayer and you meant it, you come and meet these folks who are going to gather at the front. I'm going to close in prayer and let you go today. The foyer is open. All those stations that we have specially are open today as well as the cafe. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the very words of Jesus that challenge us, oh God, to look at this idea that you will return again. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who would live our lives today as if you were coming back any moment. May we stay awake and live for you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed today. Again, anybody who's prayed that prayer, you come forward and meet with us in the front. God bless you.